How are we? You hanging in? Got some California weather in Austin today. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it, you know. If we're going to get the Californians, we've got to get the California weather too, you know what I mean? Uh, happy last Sunday before uh, your taxes are due. So it's your friendly reminder, all right? Get them, get them done or get that extension in, all right? It's, if you're like me, you filed for an extension for the third year in a row. It's great. Um, hey, uh, we're going to be jumping around today in the Word. Uh, we're going to be kind of all over the book of Exodus. So if you want to go ahead and kind of get your Bible set up, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Um, if you need a Bible, you can throw your hand up in the air and uh, wave them like you just don't. Okay, I couldn't help that. That was terrible. That was a terrible joke. I just want to see if you're awake. Uh, we got some ushers coming down. They'll hand you a Bible. If you want to plug this into your uh, browser, this will give you sort of the notes that we have going on. And uh, you can follow along with that. we got some, someone over here that needs one. And yeah, keep your hand high. That's our gift to you, by the way. If you need a Bible and want to take it home, we'd love for you to have that and keep it. And uh, it would be from us. So uh, 15 years ago, uh, this summer, I sat in an amphitheater overlooking Lake Travis with a bunch of friends of mine. And I heard a message for the first time that I'd never heard before. I came to a camp, uh, T-Barham Camp Travis. Anybody in here? I love it. There we go. We, that was like the best response because last, last service, everybody was like completely silent on that. Uh, I was at T-Barham Camp Travis and I sat in this amphitheater and I listened to this guy tell his story. I showed up to this camp actually feeling extremely broken, feeling extremely lost, feeling very much um, confused. My, my, my family was going through a really hard time at that time in life. Um, if I was honest with you, and if I can just be real with you, um, I was addicted to some things. I was addicted to myself, for one. I was addicted to approval. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to a lot of stuff at the time. And I really found myself at sort of this place of going, man, what is there for me? And I listened to this message from this guy named Adam Norman, and that whole week, honestly, I just went and showed up because they had wakeboarding and they had paintballing. Guys, can I get an amen? There's nothing like running around in 100-degree weather and getting shot with a paintball gun. I loved it. I was excited. I was ecstatic to be there, and that's why I went and my friends were going. But I was caught off guard as I heard this message of the cross and the message of the resurrection. And I thought to myself, man, I don't know if that guy can be for me, but I need something like that. I want something like that. And I went back to the cabin, and I sat down on this log out by, by myself, out by the lake. And I remember, I'll never forget, with like tears streaming down my face, just remembering, saying, I really want this in my life. And I have no idea what that means. But I know that I want this God, and if this God is who he says he is, then I want to partake in the story that he's calling me into. And God has a funny, crazy way of doing things. You see, he plants seeds in our life. And so oftentimes when we think that we're doing meaningless stuff, God is at work and he's doing meaningful things quite often, amen? He'll plant a seed, it'll grow, he'll use times to harvest seeds. I pray to God today that he's planting seeds in some people's life. I pray that he's pulling some things out today. In fact, my prayer today ultimately is that God is gonna harvest some stuff that he's going to shake off some rust today of some of us and call us back in. And the reminder again that every single one of you, I don't care where you are, how holy or how spiritual you think you are, I don't care how far away or how close to God you think you are, I want you to hear today clearly. God has written your life into existence to bring you into a grand and narrative story that he has been writing. And he has a place for you. He wants you in it. 
And sometimes when a pastor stands up here and says something like that, it sounds so far and so ethereal and so, oh, God's writing this big, grand story and I fit into it. I need you to hear today. I need to beg you that you would ask God today to move you past some of that, which sounds like hyperbole, to the realization of what Scripture says, that your life matters and that God is calling you into his story. Hello. It's the greatest thing I could say to you today, that God wants you, and he wants you in his story. And he's not asking you to clean yourself up. He's not asking you to put yourself together and get everything figured out and get right. In fact, we're going to look today at a guy's life, Moses, who offers every excuse in the world of why God, God shouldn't use him, why he can't use him. Forget it. I don't want to be used. Even that's one of the things that he says. And we see as we move past it that God has us in this process and he's got you in a process right now. The crazy part about that, I went on to go and be a counselor at this camp later on when I was a, uh, after my freshman year of college at the University of Texas. I became a counselor and I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> They're going to put a bunch of kids in my cabin? Are you kidding me? Y'all, if y'all knew me at the time, you'd be like, I don't know if I would put my kids in your cabin, Okay. <laughs> That's really what it was at the time. And I remember sitting there, and this is crazy, this week, I, uh, this kind of came to my mind because I was flipping through my journals, and I was reading, and, and for some reason, I don't ever really journal when I was in, in college, just being real. No dear diary, was, that wasn't my thing, okay? But I did for some reason, and I read it this week, and I read back to, it was in 2006, and it was June the 26th, I know that because I just read it, and I read this journal entry and it had me saying, uh, what have I gotten myself into? God, why am I here? I'm terrified. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to say. What if they ask? I literally, I remember one line says, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? And I thought I was just sweating. And maybe some of you have been there. Maybe you've been put in a position. But really, I, I want to know, on a bigger, grander scale, do you realize now that you're in that position? You don't need a camp. You don't need a, a moment or an assignment or uh, of this grand proportions, but you do have a grand proportion of an assignment that God has called you to be the plan. You are it. You're look, look around right now. Look at everybody. This is it. This is part of his plan for Austin, Texas. And some of y'all are like, that is crazy talk. <laughs> really, this guy over here, not pointing at somebody in particular, <laughs> really this guy over here? He's the plan. This guy up here is part of the plan. I feel crazy sometimes. I'm standing up here. If y'all knew my life and my story, uh, I, yes, I have a microphone. There's a light up here. I've got people in front of me. But the reality is, is that that's the role that God called me to. But he's called you into a specific role. It says in Psalm 139 that he has intricately woven your life together. That he's made your personality, he's created your unformed substance, he gave you the feelings and the desires, that who you are, the things and the dreams and the passions that you love, he gave you the hobbies that you like. And then it says in Acts 17 that he placed you in specific boundaries. So you're at the University of Texas today for a reason. You are at that job today for a reason. We've talked about this here before, that God has defined these boundaries, he's placed you in your office, he's placed you as a single mother today, given you a task, given you an assignment, and he's placed people around you. You want to ask Mother Teresa, she said, you want have the greatest impact in your life, then you draw a three-foot circle around yourself, and whoever comes in contact with that circle, that was God's plan for you for that day. Wow. That is a perspective shifting change of thinking, is it not? But God is calling us into this story, and that is enough 
for me to close the Bible and the word today and say, let's go home. It really is that God's choosing to use us. It's not hyperbole. It's real. And he wants to use your life. He wants to use the hard things of your life. He wants to use the things that you're going through right now. He wants your mess to become a message. He wants the pain that you've gone through to become part of somebody else's progress. I believe it with everything in me. In fact, he calls us his ambassadors. If you check this out, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. It's going to come up on the screen here. It said, Christ, God, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Will you all say that with me for a second? We are Okay, that was good. I'm going to try one more time together. I feel like I need to be an orchestrator here. Okay, one more time. Therefore, we are That is the calling. God making his appeal through us. Amazing. Notice it doesn't say that Nick and Tori are the only ambassadors for Christ in the, in the Well Community Church today. No, it doesn't say that. It says us. So how are we involved in a story? If you're a mom with your kids, you have a place. If you're a college student, you have a place. Businesswoman, businessman, you have a place. Brand new to the faith today, here's how good God is. He doesn't call you to mature you and then send you out. He actually calls you to send you out. And as he sends you out, he matures you. So praise God, that's how good God is is that he'll use you today if you are brand new. If you can't, we had people place their life and their faith into Christ two weeks ago, and they're sitting in this room right now. God has a plan for you. He's ready to use your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you, him, is faithful. And who will do it? He will. He will do the work. He will do it. Even today, if you're sitting in here, you don't... Know what you believe about this Jesus guy. Was he real? Was he alive? I am telling you, the story of time and creation has been God trying to call you into this story. He's longing for you to hear who he is and how great and how real he is. We are in a series called Fully Alive. The idea behind it is that John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But, the, but, but Jesus came that you would have life and life abundantly. I say that, and I say life abundantly, and I wonder today, do you feel like your life has abundance in it, like it has this richness? I bet some people in here do. I bet some people probably are wondering, why do I feel a little dissatisfied? Why do I feel like I don't have the satisfaction that I need? I don't have the richness and the abundance that I need. A friend of mine texted me uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said, uh, we were talking about his mother, and he said this. He said that she, said, she always thought that sadly many Christians are miserable because they're afraid to enjoy the life that he died to give them. What a thought. What a thought that there's this abundant life that God calls you to, and he's waiting for us to grasp part of it. And I think sometimes that sounds ethereal, and I want to talk today that I think that sometimes we can even think that Christianity is boring. You know what I mean? It's like I'm afraid to tell my friends about Jesus because, man, y'all walk into the well today, those people are weird and boring, you know? No, I'm kidding. But sometimes we live that way. We think that the pinnacle of our existence is a Sunday gathering of our spirituality. And God does not just have us to live for a spirituality on a Sunday, but he's calling you to a rich and meaningful life. That's the New Living Version. That's how it translates it. He's calling you to a rich and meaningful life Monday through Saturday. And he wants you to experience his word. I think sometimes we don't experience the supernatural, the richness, 
the amazingness of who God is because we refuse to walk in what God calls us to walk in. Oftentimes, we don't believe, we have a fear, we have an inadequacy, and we're afraid to take hold of what God says to walk forward in. He says, hey, do this thing, and you'll experience this. And we go, uh, I'm not totally sure, sure about that thing. Um, maybe I'll take this thing and do that thing, or I'll do this thing and that thing. And I think that it, what we're missing oftentimes is the lack of wanting to walk forward with God, that God is calling us greater into things. He's calling us to walk with him. He's given us his word. He's giving us these things to walk forward in. He's calling us, and he's just saying today, church, I want to raise your faith. I want to lift you up. I want to shake you a little bit to believe in what I say will bring you the life that you are longing for, the richness and the satisfaction. That does not mean that you won't have opposition in life. I do not think that's what this is saying. In fact, oftentimes I think the opposition will lead you to a richer life. Uh, Matt Chandler is a pastor up the road here, not far in Dallas, and he says this, we haven't been called to watch a three-hour drama We've been invited into the greatest saga, epic saga that the universe will ever know. We have been invited to participate. And I want today to look at the life of a man um, named Moses who was invited to participate in a little bit of what God was offering him and offering him to walk forward into an assignment that he was calling him to carry. Ephesians 2.10 says this too, that we are his workmanship. We've been created by Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So church, I want you to think today. I want you to go past the surface a little bit. I want you to start thinking a little bit with me. What could God possibly be putting me around? Who could God possibly be putting me in? What circumstances could he possibly be allowing me to go into to carry his name, to carry the name of Jesus into that, to carry the life and the love of Jesus into that today? That's the question that we're gonna walk to. And I wanna look at some of the excuses and some of the things that Moses put up. If you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter three, that's where we're gonna jump in and start. Moses, uh, you know, we know Moses. You know Moses, right? Moses in the first century, second century, if you would have asked a Jew about him, they would have said he was the supreme figure of their, uh, their faith. He was a Hebrew. He was uh, an Israelite. He was someone who was actually born into royalty in the Egyptian family. And he was born into that because his mother actually put him into a river and let him go in the midst of some hardship. And by God's providence, he was brought into that family by Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's uh, daughters and brought him into this family and raise him up in this family. And it says this in Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25, it says that as, as Moses grew older, Moses chose the ill-treated along, to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead at his reward. I love this picture of God calling somebody into a place. And we, we begin to see Moses' life unfold as you read the book of Exodus. You begin to see the calling that God had for him, what he was calling him towards. And we're going to read, just by the way, real quick, we're going to read a little bit of text today. So I hope you're ready. All right? You know, I'm going to ask you to kind of stick along with me because we're going to walk through several chapters and see some bits and pieces of his life. Are you guys ready? Are you with me? You sure? All right. Chapter 3, I want you to see this. We're going to start right here and see one of the first things that Moses says. Chapter 3 will be in verse 7. The Lord said, I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, they've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. 
I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land. I'm skipping down to verse 10. And he says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So right off the bat, God comes to him face to face. Can you imagine for five seconds if God came to you today face to face to say to you, I've called you into an assignment. I've called you to carry my name. I've called you to carry forward. And your response to God is, uh, yeah, that's not me, man. <laughs> you got the wrong person. I'm not him. You got the wrong guy here today. That's the first excuse that he gives him. He tells him he's inadequate, and I love God's response. If you look at the next verse, in verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that you should sin? In verse 12, he says, but he said, I will be with you. I will be with you. That possibly the five greatest words that make all the difference in your life, Christian. Possibly the five greatest words that you're not alone today. You're not walking alone. You're not carrying the journey that God's called you to carry today by yourself. I will be with you. He goes on. We're going to see this a second verse as if one excuse was not enough. He goes on to the next one. Check this out. And number, verse 13, he says this. He says to him, then Moses said, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God your father had sent me, and they ask me what is his name, what do I say to them? And God said to Moses, say that I am who I am. He says, who do I say sent me? He says, say, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So the second excuse he gives them is I don't know what I would say. So you got the wrong guy. I don't know what I would say. Maybe just for five seconds, place yourself into a situation of your office, of your neighborhood. By the way, if God says that he set your boundaries in Acts 17 and he puts you right where you belong, my question for you today, then if that's the case, then he's put people around you well, maybe he wants you to open your mouth to them. Maybe he wants you to speak to him. And you think to myself, I don't even know what I'm going to say. And God's response to him when he says that is he says, don't worry, I'll tell you what to say. I'll give you the words to say. I'll be with you and I'll tell you what to say. Keep going on. I want to just stick with me for a second. Don't let me lose you here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses says, as if that wasn't enough, verse 1, chapter 4, behold, they will not believe me. They won't listen to my voice. They'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran away from it. Well, yeah, no kidding, okay? You might have called me to carry 1.5 million people out of uh, Egypt into Israel, but if you make a staff turn into a snake, your boy's out the door, okay? I promise you that right now. He runs away from it, and then it says, the Lord said, put your hand and catch it. Now I'm really done, all right? You want me to catch it? He says, put his hand on it, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. So Moses believed what God said to do. And, he, and, and that they may believe, the Lord said, that the Lord, the God your father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said, put your hand in your cloak. So he put his hand in his cloak. And he said, when he, and then when he took it out, he looked at it, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. When he put it back inside his cloak, he took it out, and his hand was restored like flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, if they will not listen to you, the first sign, they will believe the latter sign. I love Moses' Moses's excuse here. What if I fail? What if you send me to somebody? Is it really me? 
I don't have the words to say. What if I fail? And God says, I will give you the power, my power through you to carry this. Oh, man, if this isn't firing you up yet, I don't know what else I could do. Because God is telling you right now he's going to be with you. He is telling you right now he'll tell you what to say. He's telling you right now he'll bring his power through you. He longs to work through you. And then it says this. If you go a little bit further in verse 10, he says this. Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm like, haven't we gone over this, bro? You just said you couldn't speak a minute ago. You're bringing it up again. And he says, either in the past I haven't been able to speak since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? Who makes a man deaf? Who makes him seen or makes him blind? Is it not I? I will be with your mouth and I will teach as you speak. And as if that excuse was not enough, at this point Moses throws his hands up in the air and says, oh Lord, please just send someone else. (laughs) Please send somebody else. Maybe some of you right now are hearing that from me. You're like, is this guy really calling me to walk forward into the story that God is preparing for me, the people he's putting around me to carry his assignment? Yes, he is. Oh, please just send somebody else, all right? Let me know when next week's sermon comes up and we're talking about some more feel-good things, all right? Because I'm not going. That coworker of mine, not talking to her. No, not her. Definitely not her. That neighbor, the one I had to call the cops on because he was so loud, I'm not definitely going to his house. Maybe God is putting you to carry his name into the places that you don't want to go, to the people you don't want to engage with. And right here, right now, God is shattering any feeling of inadequacy in your life. That you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not spiritual enough, that you don't have the right words, that you don't know what to say, that you don't know what to do. And the list just keeps coming and God just says, I don't think you get it. I'm with you. I'm here and my spirit's with you. Is anybody alive today to hear that and go, amen, thank God that God is with us, that God's not looking for the qualified today. He is looking for the available today. Are we available? Are our hands open today? You've heard it before if you've been in church. God doesn't, uh, doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, right? He's just looking for people to say, yes, Lord, send me. Here I am. I'm ready to go. How about Isaiah 26? It says, yes, Lord, I will walk in the way of your truth. Yes, Lord. I love the beginning of that. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Not no, Lord. Not not me, Lord. And then he'd experience opposition. That's what God does in our lives, friends. He calls us to something, and he gives you a lot of opposition. I've seen it a lot in my life with roommates I've had. (laughs) You know, everyone's shaking their head. Yeah, I know that. He's called me into some of those things. He's called you around those people. He's placed you there. And I'm praying today that he would push in you the realization, and we're going to see this, that he is not just with Moses. You know, the thing about Moses, don't miss me here real quick. Let me, let me uh, everyone look here real quick. If you go, to, you go on, Moses and, and the Lord met personally, face to face, it says. It said they would get into the tent of meeting, and God would come down, and this pillar, this cloud would come down and descend And he would meet with God face to face. And it was this special sort of dispensation of God over this period of this person. Moses got to meet with him. But all the people didn't. All the people had to gather around the tent as they were waiting. And it said Moses would come out and his face would be illuminated and lit up. 
And it said it would be so lit up when he came out that it, the people couldn't even look at Moses because they were so, they could see the glory of God on Moses. You know what Paul does in 2 Corinthians? He literally breaks this down and he says no longer, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, 4 and 5, you gotta check this out. He says, he breaks it down, he says, no longer is it like Moses anymore. He says, God came and he put his spirit in you. God is here. God's spirit is inside of you. The Holy God of the universe, the one that raised a man from the dead lives inside of you. And God longs to, for you to just believe that, for you to hold on to that, for you to grip that. So here's the deal. As we uh, get close towards wrapping this up here, I want us to leave with uh, talking about four things. You are called, okay? God has called your life. You are called. It doesn't matter past your inadequacies. God's calling you. The second part of this is he's calling you to die to some things in your life and live in the resurrected life, this abundant life, in order to walk forward and carry this. And I want to talk about four things over the life of Moses and what this shows us about it. Number one, God is calling us to die to forgetfulness and to live towards remembrance. Not a lot of amens there. God's calling us to die to forgetting and to live towards remembrance. We live on a spectrum right now, friends, of whether we're gonna remember how God worked or we're gonna forget how God worked in our lives. And today, you sitting inside this room today, God has moved in your life in a way that you could tell that you could literally stand here today and say, I know how God has worked. I have seen him move. And that is fuel. That is fuel to fuel you forward. And God is calling you to work into your life a plan of remembrance of how has God worked in my life that me and my family and I and my kids, we are gonna talk from, from, from day to day about the ways God has moved, the way God has shown up today. We're gonna fight to acknowledge the way God has worked today. If you go to Exodus 14, uh, Moses leads the people right to the edge of the Red Sea. You've heard this story if you've been in church before. Leads them right to the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is coming behind him. 1.5 million people walk straight through a split sea. Hello. <laughs> walk straight through. You know, you, you've heard, you split the sea so I could walk right through. It, it happened. <laughs> it happened. He walked straight through the ocean. It's not an ocean. It was a sea. What's the difference anyways? Okay. He walked away, walked right through it. And as Pharaoh's army lands in the middle, he, God devours them. And you see them, and this is the verse that they say in 14. It's going to be up on the screen behind you. But the people of God are ecstatic, and they say, Israel. It says, Israel saw the great power of the Lord that he used against the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the, in the name of the Lord and in his servant Moses. They believed in God, and they believed in the servant that had called to lead them. And get the, guess what? Chapter 15, man, they start singing that song, You Split the Sea So I Could Walk Right Through It. They are singing it. In fact, the whole chapter of 15, if you're looking in Scripture, it's a song. The whole chapter is a song, and they're saying, God is good. The first verse, look at this. I'll sing to the Lord. He's triumphed graciously. The Lord is my strength, verse 2. He's my song. The Lord is the man of war. Pharaoh's chariots, he was cast into the sea. Verse 6, at your right hand is power. In your greatness is your majesty. At the blast of your nostrils, the water piles up. The enemy, that's a weird verse. At the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. The enemy said, I'll pursue you. I'll overtake you. You blew with your, with your wind and the sea covered them. Who's like you, God. There's no one like you. And we've all been there where we said, y'all gotta hear this. Look what God did in my life. He pulled me out 
of that financial crisis. He mended that relationship. He pulled me out of that addiction. He got me through that job transition. He moved me from point A to point B. He, he, he set my feet on solid ground when it felt like it was shaky. He brought me back to him. And we have to remember this stuff because guess what? If you flip the page in chapter 16 and verse 2, this is what it says. that The verse 2 of chapter 16, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. We ain't one chapter ahead and the people are already complaining again. And you know church people are going to complain. Hello. That was a joke. Y'all can laugh. The people of Israel, it says, said to them, would, you, would, you, would, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat out here with meat pots and ate bread or full. You've brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly. <laughs> he just walked them through the ocean, the sea, right? <laughs> and now they're saying straight up, you've brought us out here to kill us. <laughs> Do you see how quick we are? to forget. Thank you. We have a spectrum in our life of remembering and forgetting, and it is the intentionality of the follower of God to remember that becomes the fuel that pushes you forward into tomorrow and into this week. You having a hard time right now? Remember, I dare you to go home. I dare you to pull out a journal or pull out your phone and write down a hundred things of how God has moved in the past month of your life. We are prone to the negative things. We are not prone to the faithfulness of God. We do not remember God's faithfulness. It's the greatest struggle. I got a bunch of guys that I've walked with back in Atlanta before I moved here, and we had these group texts. We started Group Me so that every single day we could send 15 things that we're thankful for to each other every single day. Why? Because we know that we have to fight for gratitude. We have to fight to see God work. We have to declare. It says in Scripture that they declared from one generation to the next of God's deeds. Why did they do that? So that the next generation remembered that God had worked in the prior generation. Come on, people. We got to remember today that God has done work in your life and he's doing work in your life right now. And somebody in here today is thinking that God hasn't done work in my life and I don't see him. I'm telling you right now, set your eyes ablaze towards him and I promise you, give it some time. He will do it. Ask him, I dare you. And you will be the one standing here declaring how good and gracious God is. That's the first thing. We got to die to forgetfulness and we got to live to remembrance. Number two is we have to die to isolation. And we have to live towards rich relationship. People of God, you need people. I know it's everything against the world today that tells you you need somebody else. I am promising you and telling you, you need to find your people and you need to cling to them. You need people in your corner. You need people that you are transparent with. You need people that you can share everything from your finances and your tax returns to the hardest things of your life that can look to you and tell you straight up to your face, I'm with you, I'm not leaving you, I'm not going anywhere. That is love, my friends. And I'm telling you, this is a vehicle, this is a place for that to happen. We can, how, how great is it that Tori talked on relationships last week? And I want to come back and say it again this week. Why? Because we want more than anything for your connection up here vertically with God and your connection horizontally out there with each other. But we know this. We know that our tendency is to be isolated. And we know that it's easy to get married and have kids and be isolated. And we know that it's easy to be a college student and feel like you're alone. And we're telling you right now, you have to fight for that community. Community is so much more than finding it. It is fighting for it. And in this day and age, it is harder than ever. 
You gotta fight for it. You gotta fight for each other. You gotta fight for the relationships. Exodus 18, this is what happens. Uh, they got a lot of things going on and uh, it's heavy and Moses is feeling the weight of leading this thing alone. And in Exodus 18, 15, this is what he says. Moses said to his father-in-law, the people come to me. They're inquiring to God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I have to decide of one person or another. And I make them know the statutes of the law. And Moses' father looked at him and said, what, are you, what you are doing isn't good. You and the people will wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do this alone. Now obey my voice, and I'll give you advice, and God will be with you. And he goes on to tell him, pull men around you. Pull people around you. He says, find capable, spiritually mature, character, integrity, People that aren't swayed by money. Is this not a list for finding a best friend right here? Hello. He says, and he, and he says, carry this assignment that I have. Let me tell you something. The greatest thing in life, I, gotta, I, I tell you all the time, I work a lot and hang out with a lot of young life leaders. One of the things I love to tell them is that in their assignment as they walk into some schools and engage with middle schoolers and they engage with high schoolers, is I say the best thing you can do is do this with somebody. The best way you can love your neighbor right now is with somebody. The best way you can attack, that, uh, attack the problem of the person who is plaguing you and that you want to actually refer, return that with love and care is to do that with somebody. That God sent his disciples out two by two. He didn't mean for you to be alone. He sent them out with nothing but his spirit and another person. That's all you need today. Hello, we're done. You need another person and you need the spirit of God. Let's go conquer. Let's go love some people. That's what the Lord says right now. And you know, the other part, you don't just need relationships with believers. You need relationships with non-believers. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I will tell you, a recent study came out, and they found that the number one way that people come to faith, no shocker to me, number five is Christian literature, number four is preaching and teaching, number three is Christian-related media, movies, film, video, number two is God's word, and the number one way is a relationship with somebody who knows Jesus. I, I really am trying not to, I don't want to, I don't want you to feel so like I'm trying to hype so much as much as I really want you to understand that I believe with everything in me and your pastors believe with everything in us that you are plan A for this city. The local church through you, through you and your relationships is the plan. God hasn't made a mistake and I get it. I'm standing up here today going, <laughs> all right, you got me? On my best day, it's still not great. But God doesn't leave you alone. He puts people around you. He gives you a spirit. And that brings me to my next point, which is we have to die to control. And we have to live to reliance. We have to rely. And y'all don't check out on me. We are the control-centric people of all time. <laughs> We love to control our situation. We love to control our life. It is not natural for us to turn to someone or something, i.e. God, in the hardest of times. And we have got to die to our control over something and turn to God. We need the presence of God. If you flip with me, flip to Exodus 33. We're almost done here. Stick with me. Flip to Exodus 33 in here. God has got the people to the edge of the promised land. And he goes up to meet with him 
Moses, I'm sorry, Moses, yeah, God has got the people to the edge of the promised land, and Moses is there, and he goes to meet with God, and he goes up to meet with him, and as he goes up to meet with him, the people of God have already forgotten. And they go and they build a golden calf. If you've been in church ever, you know what's going on. They build this golden calf. They start worshiping this calf. They need something. They long to worship something. So they forget what Moses is doing. They forget what the plan of God was and what Moses has told them. And they go and they worship this golden calf. And God gets a little frustrated. And so he tells this. He starts chapter 33 off by talking to Moses. And he says this. The Lord said to Moses, depart. Go from here. You and the people whom you brought up, go Go out of the land of Egypt and go to the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love it. God says, I'm going to keep my promise. I told you we are going to end up in this land. Go ahead and go. And he says, I will, to your offspring, I will give it. I'll send an angel before you. And skip ahead to verse 3 there. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not be among you. I'm not going. I'm not going with you. And Moses is distraught over this, and he's frustrated over this. He says, God, you called me to carry something today. You called me to engage these people, to lead these people, to carry an impossible task today, 1.5 million. He says, that's fine, okay. And he starts repeating this back to him. He says this in uh, 33, if you're following along, verse 13, I found favor in your sight, but show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And don't miss this, verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And he said to God, he said to the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we're distinct? You see what God's saying to you today? Is it not that makes you different from everybody else? That you have the power that raised a man from the dead living inside of you. You should be the most bold, strong, driven people in the history of mankind. And I believe we are in this world. I really do. There are a lot of statistics that say that the church in North America and Europe is dying down. But I'm telling you, open your eyes and look outside of here. I'm not sure I even believe that, frankly, if I'm real with you. But you look out in the world, there's a harvest that is ripe in India, in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, and up across the world right now is rising God's plan, and he will not be stopped. And he is with you, and he's calling you here in this country to call upon him. This is the call. We need to rely on the presence of God. Two, we need to rely on the word of God. God sends Jesus out into a wilderness. Some of y'all have been there. Some of y'all are there right now in a wilderness. And here's what he says. He sends Satan to tempt him, to strengthen him even. And this is how Jesus responds to the temptations of Satan. This is what he says to him in Matthew 4, verse 4. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You want the voice of God in your life? It's right here. It's the word of God, Amen. He's got his words ready for you. Devour it, eat it, let it be fuel for you. When you hear the lie of the enemy, swing back at him with the word and the truth. This is your way to fight the enemy. This is what he longs to do. Give you his presence, give you his voice, give you his words, give you his truth. He calls it the sword. And the last thing is we need prayer. We gotta depend, we gotta ask him. All through scripture, it says, oh, Jesus says this all through the Gospels. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. He says it over and over. And sometimes I just think we hear that and we're like, yeah, but that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, 
ask. I'm not going to ask. I can't ask. What if you don't give it to me? What if he doesn't give it to you the way you think he's going to give it to you? What if God does want to respond to the things you're asking him for, especially for his name and his renown? Amen? Ask and it'll be given to you. I want to ask the question today. This is a wild question to ask people in Austin, Texas. Do we have anybody in here that sails? Anybody ever been a sailor? Hello. I love it. Nope. Okay. She put her hand back down. Good, because then our metaphor will probably work better, all right? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, that's a weird question to ask people in Austin, Texas. Do you sail? Uh, where? On Lake Austin? Uh, okay. Uh, a sailboat is really interesting. I'm put, throw this picture up on the screen real quick. I want to show you this. This is the boat. This is the sailboat. Uh, this is the hole. I would probably call that the boat normally. That's probably what I would call it. But it's the hole. This thing, this board that goes down in the center is the keel, all right? On the back side is the rudder, which navigates the direction. And you have the mast that goes up, and you have the mainsail and the boom right here. The mainsail is what I want to focus on for a second. In John chapter 3, um, Nicodemus comes to meet Jesus. And I, I started thinking about this, and it just fired me up to think. I'm a big image guy. I like to have an illustration. So stick with me if you're not an illustration person. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a visual guy. But in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he tells him, he says, how do I get born again? And he literally says, I like climb back into my mother's womb. That's a weird thing to talk about and a weird thing to ask. But hey, he asked it. And he says to him, no, you have to be born of the spirit, not of flesh and blood. And then he impairs the spirit to the wind. And he says, you don't see it, but you see the effects of it, essentially. He says, you see it move, the, the wind blows the trees and the leaves, and you see the effects of it. Okay, when you sail a sailboat, Anybody know the best way to sail a sailboat? Anybody have a guess? How would you do it? With the wind, right? That's what I said. I was like, it'd be with the wind. You would go with the wind. Well, of course you don't go against the wind, right? That's just going to push you back. If you go with the wind, interestingly enough, you only, you'll, you'll move along, but you only go at the pace. You only go at the pace of the wind. But if you want some momentum, if you want to experience some firepower, you turn the boat 45 degrees into the wind. And what ends up happening is the wind hits this sail this way, and it hit, the water pressure hits the keel this way, and it pushes this pressure like this, and it pushes it, and it shoots the sailboat right out. It's like, it's like a seed. If you ever put a seed in your fingers and you squeeze it really hard, it fires it out. That's the same exact thing. I'm like, I'm sure some sail sailors are going to hear this and go, no, you got it all wrong, dude. To my understanding, that's the way that a sailboat moves is the pressure propels it forward. My friends, you got to harness the wind. You got to harness the wind. Are you trying to go against the wind right now in life? Are you trying to, here's how gracious God is. He'll keep pushing you along. You'll go at this nice pace. He'll be the wind at your back. He will push you. He's, scripture says he is faithful where we are faithless. But you have, if you harness this wind, I am telling you, you will see the most rich and satisfying and abundant life. You will see things that other people do not see. You will experience the richness of a life that other people are longing to experience. Everything you need is available right now in him, in his spirit, in the word, and with each other. And the last thing I'll say to you is we have to die to unforgiveness, and we have to live to reconciliation. You see, all of this is made possible because of a God who forgave you every bit. Isaiah 18 says this up here. 
it says that though your sins were like scarlet, they, are, they, they shall be white as snow. You have to live to forgiveness. There is never forgiveness without somebody paying for it. Somebody has to pay for forgiveness. No forgiveness comes without a cost. And Jesus, he didn't make us pay. He made, he took the penalty on himself. He took the punishment on himself. And the question that I have for you today, you want to experience the rich life that God has for you? Oh man, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to leave here today and remember, remember that Christ died for you? Forgiveness is hard when we forget what Jesus has done and what we've done against him. But forgiveness is made possible when we're empowered by the understanding you are white clean. No one is holding your sins against you today. Praise God for Jesus Christ in the cross and praise God for the resurrection. Father, we love you. I pray that your spirit would move right now in the lives of my friends and my family here to help them see that where they need to die in their life to some things and raise up into other things, that they are called into this resurrection life right now, God. Awaken us to the reality that you want us to remember, to be in relationship. You want us to rely on you and you want us to reconcile on your behalf and push us forward in our assignments Help us see that you offer a satisfying, rich life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.